Hey everyone, this is Hallie. And this is Adrian. And together we are the, the Bottle, Bottle Blondes. Blondes. This is the Unstuffy Wine Podcast for funny people. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, and more. Please download an episode and leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at our Instagram, at Bottle Blondes Wine. We'll have pictures of the wine we drink for the podcast and our other adventures in wine. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye. Bye. happening right now all right we uh we're live we're live coming to you live on christmas eve from <laughs> long beach washington it's the bottle <laughs> <laughs> and no we're not talking about washington wines we're talking about something very far away it's true you've heard us butcher things from france from italy from Spain, from the Basque, from many, many countries, but nay, fair listeners. <laughs> gonna hear us butcher something brand new. Portugal! <laughs> Portuguese! <laughs> we are um, finally in um, the lovely country of Portugal. We've been ignoring it for a very long time. And for our uh, holiday, we are, uh, thought we would, you know, drink some Portuguese wines. Yeah, we haven't uh, really... I was about to say divin. That's not a word. <laughs> you haven't really dove into Portuguese wines, but Portuguese wines are some of the, um, I would say, like, best buys on the market. Yeah. Yeah, you can get a lot of really unique things for not very much money. Um, a lot of things that'll kind of run up against things like um, like Spanish wines, since it's also basically right next to Spain. It's like baby Spain. That's true. Uh, it's definitely kind of the, the gateway to uh, the ocean and a lot yeah. of the world. I mean, a lot of explorers were Portuguese. Uh, Vasco da Gama, that's the only one I can remember from school. <laughs> I don't remember any Portuguese <laughs> explorers, but I know Portuguese. Uh, that's a that's a soccer team. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I used to have a boss that was Portuguese. Yeah, um, they speak Portuguese in Brazil. They speak Portuguese in Brazil, um, and there's lots of beautiful ocean yeah. in Portugal. And apparently, um, I read. I don't fact check me on this one that they just outlawed. Um, your boss being able to email you after work hours, it's now illegal in Portugal. Good job. Yeah, great Portugal. job, Portugal. <laughs> um, yeah, there are a lot of blends coming out of Portugal, a lot yeah. of uh, native grapes that you've never heard of because they never are leave Portugal. They're not grown a lot of places. Um, so Portugal is a 10th or 11th. I saw two sources, so they're probably like 10th or 11th in the world's uh, wine production. There's over 250 indigenous varieties, and um, it has the world's first demarcated wine region, uh, which is port, which Adrian will talk about uh, later. What does demarcated mean? Demarcated means, uh, good question. <laughs> I think it, I, I heard it like thrown around a yeah. lot in Italian wine scholar. I think it just means like boundaries, like yeah. established boundaries. Like this is a wine region. Um, before the rest of the world caught on that was like, oh, we can just like quarantine off, segregate. Oh my God. I'm like, what's the best word to say this? Uh, yeah. Demarcate. 
you know, don't you what love it called? when you when you define the word with the word that it's called? Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's got a ton of native grapes. Some of the main uh, red grapes that they have there are Tinta Roas, which is essentially Tempranillo, uh, Tariga Franca, Castellayo, uh, Tarigo Nacional, uh, Trinchadera, and then Jayan. <laughs> Jack, and then some whites from there. It's more of a red wine um, country, but there also is uh, quite a bit of white there, which we will also get into. Totally. Uh, Ferrano, Soraya, Sir- Arento, Alvarino, and Lorero, which I think we touched on uh, in our Green Spain episode. Um, and there's three kind of like main regions. There's the uh, upper northwest regions, and we'll be talking about both of those. We're going to be talking about Vino Verde and the Douro Valley. Mm-hmm. And then there's the central southern regions, and the big important ones out of there are the Barada, the Dow, the Alentejo, and then uh, the Biera Interior. There's also Lisboa and Tejo. And then, of course, the islands uh, of Madeira, or yeah. as I think they pronounce it, Madeira, uh, and Maybe. the Azores. As I was, like I said, I was watching the wine uh, show season three, and uh, they're in Portugal, and I think they were pronouncing it Madeira. Oh, we might okay. be just but maybe that's just Madeira. because they're British. True. Actually, I think a, a true Portuguese person even said uh, Madeira. Oh. But you know what? We're in America, and we say Madeira. Madeira. <laughs> <laughs> So even though, like, yeah, even though Portugal is really small, it packs a lot in, and mm-hmm. it's got some really ideal climates for for growing grapes because it, it has that really nice kind of like upper northwest, like by the sea, super fertile, super green, like cool temperatures coming in off the ocean. But as soon as you hit inland, it is like hot, 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 continental, baby. continental, and uh, big diurnal swings. It's like basically. Sometimes it'll get so hot inland that the vines will just shut down during the day and they won't absorb nutrients from the soil or water or anything until the nighttime because it's so freaking hot, like triple digits, like in the teens um, during the day. And then you go... And so it's very like, you know, rolling hills, kind of like steep hills and and caverns and things like that in the northeast area. And then as you go down further down, it gets more and more desert-like. And um, once you get the the islands, it's very hot and salty and dry um, and very kind of similar to like sherry growing climate, which is why Madeira grows there. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't do a big dive uh, on the history just no. because we'll kind of, so we'll, you'll get some history lessons when we talk about Port and Madeira. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be covering, as I mentioned, uh, Vino Verde, uh, the Dow, Madeira and Port. Yeah. So you're going to be getting a nice uh, smattering across the country. And it's we're really talking about like the biggest exports, the things that you're going to find in the supermarket, in the wine store. Um, it as cool as it is to find like really rare grapes from Portugal. I I haven't really stumbled across many of them. It's it's pretty much the main regions that we're going to be talking about and the main wines we're going to be talking about. So, without further... Oh, wait, really quick. Oh, go ahead. Sorry? No, no, it's only because because you mentioned that we're not going to see a lot of it. I wanted to just go over the labeling classification Please really quick. Please do. Uh, because talk, talking about wines that we're, like, never going to see in the United States, those are actually a lot of just really great quality uh, Portuguese table wines, so the lowest... Yeah. I hate, I guess, not tier... But, like, um, the table wine classification for Portugal, which you're going to see on the label, is Vino, so V-I-N-H-O, 
And then uh, the next up from that is the Vinho Regional or the IGP classification, which you'll see on yeah. other bottles. And there's about 14 of those in Portugal. And then strangely, there's the most of the DOC, <laughs> which is 31. And that's where we get what we yeah. get a lot in the United States is the DOC level. Level. That makes sense. And I wonder if that's because of a lot of... Um, something interesting about Portugal is that there's a lot of estate producers. There's a lot of people that are really preserving um, kind of historical winemaking practices there. And mm -hmm. so I wonder if it's, you know, has to do with that. The fact that a lot of them have been around for so long means that they've um, attained DOC status. I mean, that's totally just a guess, but, but well, I, I mean, maybe it's accurate. I mean, they've been making port there forever. It only makes sense that like the highest first quality yeah. wine region in the world is like the biggest export. There. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Thursday. <laughs> yeah, we've had a big day so we've far. We've had a big day so far. Um, it's Christmas Eve. I know this will come out later than Christmas Eve, but um, it's Christmas Eve, y'all, and we, we're on the beach. Yeah, we drove two and a half hours, saw three wrecks. <laughs> God, so many wrecks on the highway. Like, what is wrong with And it people? was, like, barely snowing. Yeah, like, people see snow and they just, like, I think lose it? I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely one of those people. Adrian's driving. Yeah, but like, <laughs> you know not to drive, and that's fine. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Yes, we're digressing. We're digressing. Um, should we move on to our first one? We should. Okay, so so like we said, you know, we're not going into the entirety of Portugal or the history, but um, one of its big, big exports uh, that we're going to be talking about first is Vino Verde. You know it because it's on every supermarket shelf. Um, it literally means green wine, and that's not because it's the color green. It means um, it's usually typically a very young wine. Gets produced like right after the harvest, and actually for a really long time, they didn't put a vintage on it because they would drink it so quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. right after it got produced. And it, you know, you typically see white Vino Verde, um, but it's actually made in all styles. It's made in um, white, it's made in rosé, it's even made in red, and it's usually pretty low in alcohol. It's very high in acidity, and it's made from a com combination of over 25 grapes. So Whoa. pretty much everything under the sun can kind of go in this, but the Alvarino is usually commonly in it, and I, there were a couple others that you mentioned. Um, there was another A1 that's, that's typically featured. Um, it's usually uh, very spritzy in nature, like very high acid, very spritzy, uh, almost like a Chocolina because similar to, you know, that northwestern part of Spain, it's also in the northwestern part of Portugal. And it's usually dry and it's also usually dirt cheap. <laughs> you can find it for under 10 bucks um, and it's usually pretty quaffable. It, it'll go with anything from the ocean, so like... Or anything spicy, so like think shrimp tacos or, or stuff like that, or jalapeno, things like that. I mean, we're gonna have some of this with our pozole tomorrow, right? Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. I made pozole, everybody. That's my Christmas tradition. <laughs> um, it's it comes from the north, like I said, the northwest corner. Um, that area is known as the Minho or the Mino. I'm assuming you don't pronounce the H. You're right, I was definitely pronouncing that. Um, <laughs> Vin Ho. Vin Ho, girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, they do a lot of hoeing here because it's one of the biggest agricultural regions. Oh, good segue. <laughs> it's got super green hills, lots of moisture, moderated temps. 
And um, it's really the only region of Portugal that's specifically known for its whites instead of its reds. Um, so yeah, plug for our Green Spain episode. It'll be very similar to our Green Spain episode. Go check that out. Um, and what we're going to be trying today is Casal Garcia Vino Verde. Uh, this is like a very giant producer that has a fancy website that literally has no info about the wine whatsoever, but they do have a fun history that I wanted to read to you because it's just really, the writing is really silly. Oh, I love <laughs> One it. One second. Yeah, no, you, I'm going to pour our, our, our wine. Thank you. Um, we got this at Trader Joe's. We, Hallie technically got this at Trader Joe's, so thank you. Um, yeah, as soon as you go to the page, it's like people browsing the library, um, <laughs> taking trains, getting married. Um, <laughs> taking trains and getting really... married. Ah, uh, yes. My favorite pastime. Uh, <laughs> Marriage on a train. <laughs> oh my goodness. Steam engine. Okay, going to the history, going to the history. Yes, I am over 18 years old. Oh, yes, if you hear the pitter patter of little feet, it's uh, yes. because we have um, the bags our, with us. Our petite sirs. <laughs> our petite sirs, uh, Charlie and Archie, politely ignoring each other. Yes. Social distancing like champs. They really <laughs> are just stellar examples of COVID practices. Um, well, okay, for some reason I can't pull up the history, even though I had it up yesterday, but um, this. This winery has been around since, I think, 1939. Yep, it even says that on the back of the bottle. I'm just going to read the back of the bottle. <laughs> Casal Garcia was first launched in 1939 by Roberto Guedes, father and grandfather of the generations who presently run the winery. The Japanese Postal Service has created a special edition of the stamp with the Casal Garcia label. Those two things have nothing to do with each other, but those are two facts so about the Sal Garcia. They're in cahoots with the Portuguese Postal Office. Is no, that... the Japanese. Oh, postal. the Japanese. Yeah. What? There's oh, this. This is a big winery. Just say that. Yeah, I feel like I've seen this. Uh, I like how they put. Um, you know, if you know who James Suckling is, he's mm -hmm. one of the uh, bigger wine critics. Some think he's a little bit more accessible than like Robert Parker and yeah. other people. But they put their wine score on, on the outside. The, that's like that's 90 points. 90 I think there was a deal made under the table. I think so. <laughs> to get that on there. Well, uh, it's very uh, green apple. Like, mm -hmm. Green apple skin. Uh, lemon, lime. Lemon, lime. Has that definite spritz to it. Maybe a little bit of like grapefruit pith. Mm -hmm. It's good. I mean, but it's not like remarkable. Yeah. It's, yeah. But it's very drinkable. It's almost like it's almost like a white claw, mm -hmm. <laughs> but less acrid, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean these are pretty low in alcohol. I think maybe you mentioned this mm -hmm. low in alcohol typically. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes these are even like eight percent. I think this one might be like nine point five. Um, but yeah, I've I've rarely have seen a vino verde uh, above eleven percent. So oh yeah, nine point five. And it's dry, you know, there's no uh, residual sugar to this or anything like that, so it's it's just really drinkable. There's a little bit of salty, like, mm -hmm, salty like a salty spray. sea spray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just real classic. Yeah, the, the typical flowers of flavors. <laughs> typical flavors of Vino Verde are going to be lemon, grapefruit, lime zest, yellow apple, and white flowers. I 
this yeah. one's not too floral. This one's not too floral. Um, I actually went to Division Wines on Wednesday and got a uh, Alvarinho from mm -hmm. Portugal that had uh, spent a little time on the leaves. Mm. Um, and it wasn't very, it was hardly uh, spritzy at all. It was like barely detectable, but it had a little bit of a fuller body and yeah, had more of that like yellow apple, a little, um, because it spent time on leaves, a little bit more of the salted, ritzy mm -hmm. yeah. cracker vibe. So it was very tasty. I watched a video that somebody was talking about how, you know, more serious producers, like this stuff kind of gets made a dime a dozen, but some more serious producers nowadays are starting to experiment with, um, with barrel aging and um, a lot of malolactic fermentation, and so there's there's definitely like a lot of um, a lot of opportunity to kind of spread out the different styles. I'd love to try a red one. It sounds fun. Yeah, for sure. It, they're supposedly like a really magenta color because they're still very young. <laughs> mm, yeah. I wonder if that has to do with like. I mean, obviously they're spending time on the skins, but I wonder. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. huh. I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll. Unless we go to Portugal. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. It can be part of our green space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. All right. Uh, so we are moving down to the uh, Dow DOC, which is uh, kind of considered like north central uh, Portugal. Uh, and the Dow DOC um, has uh, wines that are kind of uh, lighter in. They're mostly red wines. It's 80% uh, red production. There. Oh, damn. And they're wines that are a little bit lighter in style than some of the wines that are coming out of the Douro Valley, which is to the east, which mm -hmm. is where Port is from. Um, but it still has really uh, good structure. Uh, so good. And by that, I mean it has very balanced uh, tannins and acid, and it's uh, great for aging. So this area has a really high altitude area. It's on like a plateau, and it's surrounded by... Um, three mountain ranges and uh, like forests and stuff and I wrote down these three mountain ranges because they're called the Serra da Estrella, the Serra de Caramulo, and the Serra de Naves and I called it the triple threat rain shadow. <laughs> 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 Because it protects uh, the region from the uh, Atlantic Ocean's shenanigans, uh, so it kind of um, keeps it nice and, and dry. So it's considered a continental climate with maritime uh, influences, and the soils are granite and sandy soils, uh, really well draining because those three mountains are also granite. Um, so yeah, this is the uh, DOC that was established in 1990, so it's been around a while. Um, it's got seven sub-regions, which I'm not going to name because I will butcher every single one of their names. <laughs> um, it has mostly blends, but it is known for a single varietal wine. So they do a, an Alfrechero single varietal, which is kind of like berry and spicy and licorice-y. They also do a Dao, a Dao Jan, I'm, I keep pronouncing this wrong. J-A-E-N, it's Jain maybe. Um, and that's just Mencia, that's just Portugal. Uh, Portugal for Mencia, Portuguese for Mencia. <laughs> and that's got uh, raspberry, cherry, and high acid. And then they also do a single varietal, uh, Triganesh Chanel, which is the pork grape. But like I said, most of it is blends. I would really like to try a Triga Nacional because it's supposed to be very intense, very tannic. Yeah, wine, very. And, um, sounds really good. Yeah, it's. It's awesome. I have never had it. Uh, I've only had it as port. Yeah, so, same. Uh, so 
As far as the uh, blends go from here, they can be any of the above grapes that I just mentioned, uh, or they can also uh, blend it as well. They also have one white here uh, called an Encruzado, and that's Ooh, the, I know. That sounds very exotic. Encruzado. Encruzado. Is the main uh, white grape. So, as I mentioned earlier, 80% of the region is red, but the DOC says that at least 20 percent uh must be Tariga national if it's going to be a blend oh okay. but i don't think that's right because i think there is Tariga national in that only five percent oh. so i don't know i should have fact checked that a little bit further is that a doc it is a doc oh. so oh well <laughs> um and yeah so it's one of the oldest wine growing regions uh in portugal and we should definitely try this wine that I have from there. I have had this wine before. It's really good. I have not. It's really good bang for your buck. It is. So this wine is called Prunus. And really sexy name. Prunus. <laughs> Give me my Prunus. And it is from a winemaker called uh, Gota. And... They basically wanted a wine to be really expressive of apparently these famous cherries that are grown in the area called Cova de Biera. And there's like big festivals about these cherries. Uh, and the vines are grown on the foothills of the Serra de Estrella, which is one of the mountain ranges I just talked about. Uh, granite and clay soils. And Gota does wine from multiple regions, so they probably will also have them from the Alentejo. Um, but yeah, their first vintage was in 2008, so not like a super duper old mm -hmm. uh, wine producer. And the uh, blend on this is 80% uh, Jan, <laughs> just Mencia, I'm going to keep butchering that. 10% uh, Tinta Roriz, 5% uh, Alfrochero, and 5% Tariga Nacional. Nacional. Ugh, God. Um, and it did spend... Just lots of syllables in there. So many syllables. It did spend some time in French and Portuguese oak, but it also um, did some of its uh, initial fermentation in stainless steel. So did yeah. Did hard time in stainless steel. <laughs> um, this wine did hard time. Fun fact, um, so t uh, Tinta Ruiz is a synonym for Tempranillo. So Tempranillo, oh. if, you ever, or if you ever see Tinta Ruiz on a Portuguese wine, that's it's just Tempranillo. Oh yeah, I think I wrote that down, said it, and then immediately forgot it. Yep, that's all good. <laughs> information there's also like if you start getting into tempranillo which i feel like we haven't really dove super deep into it there's like a thousand different synonyms for tempranillo mm. it's it, all across spain even it's rude <laughs> i so rude spain why am i so rude this is good i love how peppery it is mm. it is super peppery Ooh, it's got some strong, yeah. Yeah. It's got some big tannins, got too. got some tannins, but it's also, like, um, it doesn't have a huge body to it. No, it it's is. It's kind of lighter. Lighter-bodied, uh, definitely, like, black cherry. Yeah. A little bit, it's kind of leaning a little into some purple fruits. I'm tasting a little... A little, like, a little, a little plum. plum. Yeah. yeah. Tasting some plum and some, like, um, not like a currant, but, um, yeah, something, something more, like, tart than a blackberry like a marion berry mm -hmm. or something like that um it also has some nice like herbaceous notes mm -hmm. let me take a sip again determine it's a little eucalyptus mm, yeah yeah 
our petite sirs are scrounging the floor for any remnants of uh, crumbs. They really refuse to lay down. <laughs> I don't know why they're so worried. They have to sniff out every square inch of this tiny cabin that we're in. <laughs> We've laid out three beds for them. They're not sleeping. They're not in sleeping any. in any of them. <laughs> oh really my trying God. to paint. We're just scene painting over here. For yeah, us. yeah. Like with us. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, it's this very cute, like uh, beach chic meets. Um, Witness protection is <laughs> the vibes that I'm getting from this yes. cabin. Oh. <laughs> like, it's really cute, but also, like, the the little, like, RV park that it's in is, like, the further back you go, the scarier it is. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, these aren't recreational RVs. These are, I live here RVs. <laughs> but, and also, like, I've been to RV parks where people, it's, like, live here RVs that are quite nice. Um, and this one's, like... Oh, some maintenance could be done. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I am not here to judge anyone. I'm just here to observe. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, cool. Cool. So well, thanks that, for bringing that. That was delicious. Yeah, we'll enjoy some more of that uh, later. Mm-hmm. All right, fair, fair listeners. Fair listeners. It is time for some fortified wine talk. Hell yeah. Uh, first, we're going to be talking about the Madeira DOC and the wine that comes from there, known as Madeira, Madeira, as we were saying earlier. But I'm kind of into calling it Madeira now. Yeah, Madeira. I'm used to it. So this is the wine of the founding fathers. Ooh. This is the wine of the American Revolution people. Really? <laughs> yes, and I'm going to tell you why. Wow. Yes, please do. <laughs> so uh, let's go a little bit further back uh, to Explorer Times, Vasco da Do- Vasco. So, um, Madeira is an island off of Portugal, and it's actually closer to Africa than it is to Portugal, which is fun and interesting. No way. And, yeah, and we're going to hear about how the winds of the Sahara really affect the grapes there, right? So, um, it was founded by Portuguese explorers in 1420, and they wanted it to be a port of call for people leaving Portugal and heading to the East Indies and to the Americas. Uh, and by the end of the 18th century, essentially, essentially. <laughs> end of the 18th century, um, nearly a fourth of all Madeira exports were shipped to America. Wow. So America loved Madeira. America, Madeira. And the rise in popularity is because anything coming from a British ship was taxed the fuck to the Americans. Wow. Not from Portugal. So America was like, Fuck port, or not port, fuck yeah. sher- uh, sherry, because Spain was there, whatever. Yeah, yeah, but also port, because the British owned all of the port firms. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, they were like, this is alcohol that is not taxed, baby. Interesting. So everybody got super into fucking Madeira. Madeira. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Dare I, to get into Madeira. I know, I love that shit. Uh, so the terroir uh, is, a, it's a volcanic island, so it's very ge- geographically hostile, as I like to say. Uh, the terrain is very varied. It's got a lot of like basalt, uh, accordion-like uh, soils. Um, and the main island is Madeira, and then there's also the Azores. And it's just uh, only a thousand acres of vines there, and the rest is like banana and sugarcane. Wow. Yeah. So vineyards are on super small plots of land. They're harvested by hand because they're on like crazy steep slopes. 
Um, it gets a ton of rain, so mold and mildew are a problem, but it also gets this thing called the leste, which is the heat wave blowing off of the Sahara Desert, and it can cover all of the grapes in, like, sand and dust and shit and raise the temperature to, like, 100 degrees. That sounds for like weeks at a time. <laughs> yeah, so, like, big, crazy, like, temperature variations, so vines are huh. uh, pulled higher off the ground, so, um, there isn't such a susceptibility to, um, the they're in their beds they're in their respective beds don't look <laughs> Archie's staring at the fire oh my god it's finally happened everyone okay <laughs> anyway so um, now let's talk about how Madeira is made and this kind of goes back to uh, the history so what happened was unfortified Madeira so just regular straight-up wine was put on these ships and on its way to its various destinations it would fucking bake in the sweltering heat of the hold and would just spoil yeah. <laughs> so they started adding um, distilled alcohol. Originally, they started adding a distilled sugarcane to help stabilize it. So rum, basically. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then that was eventually replaced uh, by brandy. Huh. Um, and now how they make Madeira is there's like two different ways uh -huh. uh, to do it. So one is the um, that method. They try to replicate that method, that old method of like things baking very slowly in a wooden bottomless not bottomless uh basement there we go oh yeah yeah or attics just anywhere where heat is collecting where it can kind of like slowly oh. heat up to a high temperature interesting a yeah slow boil yeah so they'll have the I regular wine they'll add the brandy at a certain fermentation point um and that will uh, kill the yeast and yep. halt the fermentation and then um depending on when the brandy is added is what kind of level of sweetness it'll be right uh, and then for the wine to be Madeiraized, it has to be oxidized. So yeah, it's either heated slowly like I just talked about, or it goes through this method called estufahem. Oh, which... that's that's nice and easy to say. <laughs> I know, I wrote down the phonetic thing. Estufahem, which are tanks that can uh, do more controlled okay. heating temperature regulation. So one is the natural way, mm -hmm. one is estufahem, and then it's transferred to casks to... Have a nice resting period. A nice rest. Yeah, for at least up to a year. And then they can be additionally aged in bottle or continue to age in oak. Uh, American oak is actually normally used, which is strange. Um, but they also use uh, chestnut. And the <laughs> same thing with sherry. They'll kind of, they're not going to, they don't fill the barrels to the top. They right. kind of uh, leave a little room so the oxidation can continue ah, to happen. Got it. Um, do they, because you're talking about the different levels of sweetness, um... Do they sometimes distill, like, do they ferment it to dryness ever? Is there dry Madeira? There like is. sherry? Yeah. And that kind of depends on uh, the grape, which yeah. I'm about to go into. Oh, girl. Mm, styles Tell and grapes, me. baby. So, uh, most cheap Madeira is um, <laughs> actually made with the red grape, Ooh. which is uh, Tinta Negra. And that's also normally uh, aged the youngest, which is three years old. Uh, below that, there's a style called Rainwater, which I've mentioned, which is a very, like, the driest, lightest style of Madeira you can get. And there's a bunch of fun myth lore about that. Basically, some people say it's called Rainwater because that's literally the style. It's just lighter. Uh, some say that because it grows on such steep slopes that it's impossible to irrigate, so the only water those vines get is from the rain. Oh. And then some say somebody left Madeira out in the rain without the top on, and it got watered down, and they were like, this is okay! This is like rainwater. 
kind of bland. <laughs> um, but the noble varietals, so like really nice Madeira is made from the white grapes. Got it. Okay. And there's uh, these are the f there's five noble varieties of white uh, Madeira grapes, and they all typically have different levels of residual sugar. Okay. So from like least amount to highest amount. So there's the Sershal, so sure. uh, and that's zero to six percent residual sugar. Then there's the Verdejo, which is six to seven point five percent. Then there's the Torontes, which is seven to eight. Oh, okay. The, so an aromatic, aromatic white grapes go in there. Uh, yes. Interesting. Um, a Boule, which is seven point five to ten, and then the sweetest you can get in is Malmsey. Which you may have heard of Malmsey wine in reference to like old Arthurian. I don't and, think I've ever heard that. <laughs> oh yeah, like I think it was like King Henry the Fourth's brother like drowned in Malmsey wine or something. Ooh. I don't know. It was from watching The White Queen, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a ten percent or more residual sugar. So that's like Damn. really sweet stuff. And those are at least aged five years, and okay. some of them can even go um, ten or fifteen years. The ten or fifteen one years are. Um, Ones that go through the natural, like yeah, oxidization. Uh, cask oh, okay. And not and not from and not the So um, that's Madeira in a nutshell. Delightful. Most of it's you know if you can the white stuff's kind of expensive. I was yeah. like hoping to get a white one, but I was like, Ooh, not this time. But it's okay. There's some nice red examples, which is what we have here. So this I like is a cute little bottle. Yeah, it's um, oh yeah. Another thing, Madeira lasts like for fucking ever. Yeah, like fortified know. wines, you can open them and kind of forget about them and just have a little bit each night. They'll last for quite a long time. Yeah. So this one is only three years old, so it underwent uh, estufahim. Ah, uh, estufahim. And <laughs> it is one hundred percent tita <laughs> tita tita negra. It's non vintage. Um, and this one has, this uh, Bellums has been doing Madeira since uh, 1936. Um, but yeah, it's an aging in oak, whatever. What else does this do in here? Drink with chocolate desserts, mixed with bourbon. It also says Mixed like, with bourbon? I think what they're trying to get at here is that this is, uh, because this isn't like the higher tier Madeira, yeah. that you can use it to mix with cocktails. Got it. It also okay. mentions that you can make really good sauces with it. Ooh. So one would say this is a multi-purpose Madeira. Isn't there like a, a, a chicken that's made with like a Madeira sauce? What is that? dish huh. that I'm thinking of. No, I'm thinking of Marsala. Mm. <laughs> Still good. Still good. I think I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I think we're going out to dinner. Soon. Yeah, I think we're going out to dinner. Uh, first, we're going to have. Could you help me? Yes, of course. Sorry. My of course. Mic's, no, my mic's wanting mic to take troubles. a dive off the. <laughs> oh. All right. Let's take a little pour of this bad boy. Ooh, it's nice and amber. Yeah. Love it. Oh, yeah. Pretty. It looks like like brandy or rum or something. Yeah, so it's got a lot of nice, like really nutty. Ooh, caramel. and it doesn't. Yeah. And even though it's like a red grape, it's not like red at all, right? Yeah. It it's doesn't. So oxidized. It's so oxidized. It doesn't. It doesn't even. It smells like a brown butter cookie. Yeah, like brown butter exactly, or like graham cracker. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't smell crazy sweet. Like sometimes you can really smell the sweetness on. On like a fortified wine. Yeah, this is like um, it's seventeen percent, mm. so 
It's not crazy. It's sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. It's pretty sweet. Um, even though I was told by the wine steward at Market of Choice that this was a drier. Damn. What's the sweeter version? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, it has a really nice um, toasted nutty aftertaste, like a toasted walnut or hazelnut. Yum. Honestly, like, it's pretty decent. Like, it's pretty I think, decent. Yeah. I think that you could... I would prefer to drink this, although I see how you could use it in, like, a cocktail. Yeah. Uh, or in a... I would use this in, like, a dessert sauce. I don't know how I would use this in a savory sauce, but I'm not a, a classically French-trained yeah. chef. <laughs> yeah, it would be kind of sweet, but maybe you could do it with some um, like some pork. You know how, like, pork can sometimes go with sautéed apples oh, or something? Mm -hmm. That could be yummy. Mm -hmm. Um... We should have this with the with the cookie that I made because this will be this will be a perfect pairing. Oh, that's right, yeah. Adrian baked. I baked, y'all. <laughs> baked and made basoli, oh, and uh, that's it. <laughs> Still a lot. Are we ready to move on to our second fortified wine? Yes, please. All right, this is the granddaddy of Portugal. Oh boy, Papa Papa Portugal. Papa Port. Papa Port. <laughs> Port is um, just really a, a perfect example of traditional winemaking techniques. It has so much history in Portugal. It has so much history um, in the development of like wine trade in Portugal. Um, it's it's really cool because a lot of uh, a lot of old winemaking techniques are still passed down and used through present day like foot stomping. Foot stomping oh. is very traditional in, in port production and I'll get into that in a little bit more. Um, but it only comes from one place like you mentioned earlier. It's a 70 mile long region within the Douro River Valley which is known for dun 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 the Douro River. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that runs through it which actually starts in in Spain, kind of near Madrid, and then it cuts in and down. Um, it cuts through this, like, giant gorge of schist and granite, so the valley is super narrow and tall, and if you've ever seen pictures of the Douro River Valley, it's very striking because um, all of the vineyards there are in such steep slopes that they're all terraced. So you yeah. see this, like, beautiful snaking terraces winding through the river valley. The river... Um, obviously helps moderate temperature, you know, it keeps things cooler at night. It also helps reflect light during the day. Um, and the winemakers here totally practice heroic viticulture. Like I said, super sleep, steep slopes, um, sometimes 35 to 70 degrees of inclination. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a beautiful historic area and there used to not really be a lot of people that, um, lived there and honestly they didn't really have paved roads until the 1950s so what the port producers there um would do is they transfer the grapes to the port city of i have it here and i forgot the name porto no it's um oh yeah oh porto and Villa Nova de Gaia. Um, and then the that was where they got blended and aged in shipper by the shippers um, in warehouses that were known as lodges. Um, the valley itself is in like the northeast kind of part of Portugal. And like I said, it's, it's known for really hot summers. So like I said, these are the vines that are gonna shut down during the day because it can be 110 plus degrees Fahrenheit for weeks at a time Ooh. as the high. Um, which sounds like hell. <laughs> oh, 
I mean, we almost died last I know, this past <laughs> summer. I can't imagine days of that on end and trying to maintain vines during that. That sounds crazy. Um, so the Duro River Valley is split into three subterrains. There's the, the, I don't know if this is spelled with like a, spelled with an X, so I'm gonna do my best. The Baicho Corgo, which is the lower valley. The Sima Corgo, which is the upper, and the Doro Superior. And the best quality ports come from the Sima Corgo and the Doro Superior. Um, like I said, foot stomping is still a major practice. It's done in these giant ancient stone vats called lagars. And traditionally, the men would do most of the crushing, so they would start in the afternoon and crush for hours and hours at a time. Um, but once evening time came, women and musicians would come and like join in and they would like each pick partners and like polka or folk dance in these vats. <laughs> I know. And uh, the they would like dance together. I think they would dance in the lagar. Uh, there are mechanical lagars nowadays, but many producers still use traditional methods. And um we talked a little bit about fortified wine production, but this is kind of the same thing. So the wine gets poured off its skins, it gets combined with a neutral grape spirit, which is usually brandy, uh, which arrests further fermentation. Um, and usually, you know, there's quite a bit of sugar that remains in the, the, vol the alcohol volume typically hovers around 20%, sometimes a little lower, sometimes a little higher. Um, the fun part about port is all of the different styles that you can get with port. So, Probably the two most well-known are Ruby Port and Tawny Port. So Ruby Port gets aged in really big oak casks uh, for shorter amounts of time. Large barrels mean less, um, less contact with oxygen, so that's why it's usually a fresher color. It's not gonna have that kind of typical uh, like garnet tint to it. Um, it usually tastes a little bit fresher too. And Tawny Port is aged in small oak casks for several years. And um, actually something interesting about it is sometimes the amount of aging um, and blending that goes into a Tawny Port, they'll mark as either 10 or 20 or 30 or even more years on the bottle. But it's like a weird average of the wines combined plus what the winemaker thinks it tastes like. So it's not necessarily like a 10 year old tawny port. It's like an average of 10 years between all the grapes combined. So it could have some grapes that have been aging for longer, some that are younger. And then eventually that winemaker is like, yeah, I think this tastes like it's aged 10 years. <laughs> and then it gets that on it. So all right, you know. a little, little loosey-goosey stuff happening <laughs> over there. Um, but like I said, you know, it gets a little more exposure to oxygen, so it has that tawny color to it. Tawny port is, is one of my favorite ports. Um, there's reserve port, which is nothing super fancy, but it's usually good value. It's like a blend that's aged four to six years in barrel. Um, there's vintage port, which is typically considered uh, quite rare because usually port is a blend of several vintages, kind of like champagne, but vintage port is only made in from one vintage and it's only when the producer declares it as an exceptional vintage. So you can go years and years and years without a port vintage until they're like, hey, these grapes are fire. <laughs> This, and then they make one. <laughs> and then there's late bottled vintage, which spends uh, four to six years in barrel before bottling. So that's super fancy. Uh, when was the last uh, vintage port declared? Do you know? Uh, 
I don't know. Mm. Let's, Let's find out. See if Siri can tell us. I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, port in the meantime. Will you look that up? Um, so, a lot of port success, um, you know, Madeira has a lot of success with the Americans, and port has a lot of success with the British. So, yes. it's hugely in part due to British merchants. And essentially, in the late 1670s, two English wine merchants arrived at a monastery in the Douro River Valley, and a local abbot served them port, and they were like, I'm trying to do a, like a, like, <laughs> Like a good Britishism, uh, a good like like British yeah, like slang. expression, yeah. Smashing, smashing, <laughs> not crikey, there, crikey, <laughs> that's words Australian. <laughs> but um, you'll notice that you know a lot of the producers of port, um, especially the ones that you get over here in the states, they're all gonna have British names. So there's like Croft, Graham, Cockburn, Dow's. Um, a lot of the port firms were started by Brits and. A lot of them are really big now. They're um, usually, I think they're, many of them are owned by the Symington family. So it's kind of like yeah, an umbrella sounds... corporation of port makers. Um, but that's why you don't see a lot of Portuguese names on ports. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, one funny just tidbit from the live show about port was they, uh, in the British aristocrats house mm -hmm. in uh, Porto, and surrounding towns is they would have one room they would have identical dining rooms with doors between them and the one dining room was for dinner and then when dinner was done they would go into the other room to have the port so the dinner smells didn't fuck with the port, the port smell. smell yeah interesting yeah apparently it used to be like like a men's drink like you the men went to their cigar room and mm. they would have port and the women were like not allowed. <laughs> oh, weird! Yeah, they I know. Allowed no to do surprise. In the fucking seventeen, eighteen hundreds. But now, actually, the biggest, uh, the biggest like um, demographic for buying port is UK women. So. <laughs> I, just, I, I believe love that. Port. Yeah, I love port. We're gonna we're gonna have a little bit. Um, um, also, I, I googled it. Uh, renowned for its full-bodied and harmonious wine, suitable for long aging. The, oh, sorry, I should have called you. The 1997 vintage was the last to generally be declared. 1997. Yeah. There's a whole... This is from the Vintage Port site. I did, I did see something about 2001, I think, oh, wait. in a book. Or 2011, maybe? But, boy, that's, that's a long time. Uh, yeah. There's a lot about Port that I'm not even going to get into or scratch the surface of. There's, like specialty styles of port beyond ruby and tawny and vintage um there's vineyard estates which have a special label uh that they're called um just you know just know that it's more than dessert wine that there's so much more about it i guarantee you that there's one out there for everyone um the one we're drinking is a dow's fine tawny port so dow is a one of the british people dow is one of the british people <laughs> this is one of the Owned by the Mega Corporation. Um, they've been around since, oh lord, uh, in 1798. Yeah. Um, this is like. Smells very boozy. Yeah, it's very boozy. It's 19.5. Oh, yeah, bigger than the Mega. Or no, 19. Um, and I'd say it's a little less sweet, but it's still quite sweet. Um, it's 
I got like, it's like a nice kind of pale garnet color. Um, I got on the, on the nose, I got almond and candied orange peel, vanilla extract, graham cracker, and it tastes like a Luxardo cherry. It's so delicious. Um, and this is only 15 bucks. It's a really good steal. Yeah. This has got like, and like clove. Ooh, yeah, clove. I was gonna say like kind of like a spice cake. Yeah. Um, like a spiced raspberry. Is that a thing? You really get that on the back of the palate. I think due to the high alcohol, kind of get that spiced burning sensation on the back. Um, it's it's delicious. It's kind of like a brandy snap. Um, this is definitely more. Um, you can pick out more of the red fruits for sure on this one. The Madeira was just so oxidized. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, this is whatever. They're both oxidized, they're both, which is yeah. very interesting to see the kind of big differences. Oh, yeah, totally. Between the two. And they're both made with red grapes. They're both made with red grapes. This one, um, I looked it up, and it seems like it's it's mainly made with Chiriga Nacional, which is going to be, again, like the, the primary port grape. But... Uh, port can be technically a blend of different red grapes, and they do have white port, although it's technically not considered as um, as good or as complex. Um, but you'll see a little bit less of it, so it might be something to check out if you're if you're feeling adventurous. The red grapes are um, so sao, tinta barroca, tinto sao, tinta roriz, which is tempranillo, torrico franca, and torrico nacional, and the white grapes are codega. Coveo, Malvasia Fina, which I thought was interesting, Rabiago, and Viocino. Wow. So those are a lot of um, things you will not see on the label. <laughs> I know. It's kind of crazy. I think we've, I mean, I've personally not had an aversion to Portugal, but just always looked at a bottle of Portuguese wine. I was like, what the fuck are these right. grapes? Like, oh, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if this is big, if this is, you know, light bodied, medium bodied. I just don't know what I'm looking at. And it's, um, I think what to really key in on here is the region. Yeah. The region sure. is going to kind of tell you what kind of grapes are coming out of it because it's so specified by the region. So you know what you're getting out of a deer. You know what you're getting out of port. Same, you know, Vino Verde now, you kind of know. And the Dow, which is a really big kind of like good bargain area, you're going to get those kind of medium bodied red grapes. Yeah. And then another interesting thing we kind of talked about on the card over here is that um, because port is kind of a niche drink, mm -hmm. um, a lot, there's quite a few. Um, Port producers or, or like uh, wineries that grow port grapes that are also just making it in a still yep. uh, dry style and not fortified because they can't use all of your grapes yeah. for port necessarily um, for the actual fortified wine drinks. So yeah, there's like still port. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know if I want to try it, but I kind of do just for the sake of it. Yeah, just a straight Torrigo yeah. Nacional. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I'm also having... <laughs> Misfunction. You know what? We did good. We did. Yeah. I'm talking way too close to it and just blowing out. <laughs> um, we did pretty good for you know this makeshift setup. I can't believe I drove I drove my audio equipment all the way up here, but it was worth it. Yeah, we wanted to do a remote recording, we and we have going. tons of really good cheese yeah. wine to drink for the rest of our excursion. Excursion, um, um, and hopefully we make it back home after because <laughs> uh, of the wretched snowstorm. Do not speak of the weather. Let's not come. speak of the. <laughs> we will not think about it until tomorrow. Instead, 
We shall play seven things. We shall play seven things. Uh, I think we should. If this is hard to, to rate because they're all very good different and different. <laughs> um, Let's say we just pick a favorite. And yeah, yeah. Let's pick a favorite. Uh, I'm gonna go with this tawny port. <laughs> yeah, do it. Do yeah, the tawny port. Adrian. Yes. Seven things you would do while drinking this tonic. Mm. Oh, I would climb on one of those ladders that they have in really big libraries, and I'd just like whiz down the side of a bookshelf. It doesn't seem like that. Like Jungle like, Cruise movie. Yeah. It's very <laughs> hijinksy. <laughs> they go in the library hijinks. Uh, oh my god, that's funny. <laughs> Um, I get really into like, like tin, tin work. Tin, like, 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 like a tinnery, like tinning, like, tinning things. Yeah. Like, um, oh no, not like that. Like, um, you know how like in New Mexico, there's a lot of like. Oh, tin, hammered tin art. Hammered tin art. Yeah. yeah. I'd get really into that. I'd start making some hammered tin art. Chew! <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um. Let's see. I, I feel like I get a safari outfit. Like, you know, one of those little silly, like, white hats and it's an all-white outfit with, yeah. like, long shorts. Like, real out of Africa. Really out of Africa. And um, I would get, like, a cool Bowie knife to, to stick on my hip. And, um, yeah, I, I do. I put that together. <laughs> Three. Um, let's see, maybe something a little more low-key. Um, <sighs> I'd probably just, like, you know, treat all my leather goods. Like, I'd get, get some nice polish for them, restore them. Restore your leather goods. Restore all of my <laughs> Get transported into the <laughs> world that you're that creating. creating. <laughs> um, I think I'd um, I'd go to Hobby Lobby, and um, I think I'd just go to Hobby Lobby. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of weird shit at Hobby Lobby. Dude, what was the what was the craft store in Mexico called again? Miguel's. <laughs> Y'all, okay, so you know how we have Michaels here in America? Well, in in Mexico, their craft stores are like 300 times better than ours because there's always a fiesta going on. There's always something to celebrate. Um, and because I, people live with their families and more extended families, they're always celebrating a lot of different milestones. And it's called Miguel's. And I don't think it has anything to do with Michaels here, <laughs> I just but I it's think called it's so, I want it, it makes me wonder like however like what is it in France? Is it Michel's? Yeah, is it Michel's? <laughs> what is what is like German for French for Michael, French German for Michael. Yeah. I just, it's, There's so many Michaels. Every in the single world. craft store in the world. In the world has called a Michael's. Michael's? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, is that six? Uh, I'm gonna say it's six. Yeah. Yeah. Six. Um for my seventh thing, I'd sit down and I'd make a really, I'd like cut off a really nice crusty slice of, or 
a slice from a crusty loaf of bread and I'd make some cinnamon sugar toast. Yum. Yeah. Yes. This all sounds so cozy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Include, and <laughs> eat it in my safari outfit. <laughs> yeah. Gotta get you some good usage. I gotta. I gotta. Um, for my seven things, I'm going to drink uh, the Madeira, mm. and I'm going to take you on a day in the life of <gasps> an American president. <laughs> yes! Seven, Excellent! Seven things. This one's been brewing, I can tell. Just pretend I am a congressman, long-lost congressman that you don't know of. Uh, what what era? Uh, the de- I'm talking like Declaration, Declaration of Independence. Independence, 1700s. Yeah, like 1770, the year is 1777. My name is John. My last name is, uh, you know, Williams. Sure, excellent. John Williams. John Williams. I'm a U.S. congressman. The first thing I would do yes. is I would pick up my quill and inkwell, and I'm going to write a letter to my son, who is down in Portugal, <laughs> officiating the transport of <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> One. I'm going to kiss my wife Martha good morning. <laughs> of course, her name is Martha. Excellent. <laughs> That's very kind of you. I feel like a lot of men of the revolutionary era do not kiss their wives good morning. They did not, but I do. You do. I do. I do. Me, John Williams. You, John Williams, U.S. <laughs> congressman. U.S. congressman. What uh, state do you represent? Uh, New York. Excellent. <laughs> sure. sure. John Williams of New York. Yes. I'm going to have a slice of bread homemade by my wife, Martha. Wow. With a slathering of marmalade and butter. <laughs> Toast is appreciated across all t- all eras. <laughs> all, or- all eras of life. Uh... Four? I think that's three. Three. Yeah, yeah. I'll wrap it up, I promise. No, you're fine. It's <laughs> fine. I'm very entertained. I'm going to uh, brush my horse, Bessie, and saddle her up for a ride into town. <laughs> Gotta hit up the capital. Gotta hit up the capital of New York. <laughs> <laughs> Four. Oh, I'm gonna slap my old chaps on their back and Excellent. say, Good morning! What is on the agenda today? Freeing America from the crushing boot heel of the British? <laughs> you say that so casually. Uh, well, I'm a revolutionary. You are a revolutionary. You are John Williams of New York, U.S. Congressman. Uh, yes, that was five. I'm going to have a Madeira with my lunch and my old chaps. And continue to discuss how to get under the oppressive boot heel of the British Parliament. Wait, did they have Parliament back then, or is it still uh, well, the a British, monarchy? Uh, oh, you're right. There wasn't a Parliament. It was the monarchy. <laughs> Just kidding. From King George. From King George. The oppressive Damn boot heel. Damn him. Is uh, so the workday done? I'm gonna go to a tavern. <laughs> Have another glass of Madeira with my old chaps and discuss that lovely prostitute's breasts over there. You may be loyal to Martha, but that doesn't mean you can't look. Exactly. You are a U.S. congressman, right, US after congressman. all. Gotta inspect that they are 
American breasts. Yes, not British breasts. <laughs> uh, let's see, is it the end of six? I'm gonna get back on Bessie and ride home. Oh, excellent. Where, where the lantern light of the path that has been lit by the lamplighters. Seven. I'm going to kiss be Bessie goodnight. <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> Wait, that's the horse. Martha, I'm gonna kiss Martha. Nope, you kissing the horse. I'm kissing you the kissing horse. You kissing the horse. <laughs> Listen, it's fine to kiss your horse. It's fine to kiss your horse. It's fine to give your horse a little kiss. It's <laughs> okay. It's okay, Charles. Oh my goodness. What an adventure through Portugal. I know. Our, our, for our petite sirs did not like our... No. Our raucous laughter. Our raucous laughter. <laughs> Um, I'm glad we finally got to get to Portugal. Me too. Yeah. I feel like we had a really good representation of... Of Portugal. <laughs> we had a long drive, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> we made it. We made it. Uh, I think next time, uh, we're going to be discussing with you the variations, uh, or differences, because I'm sure it's very confusing to everyone. The difference between organic wine, oh yeah, natural, natural wine, wine biodynamic wine. wine, and you know we might take a little hiatus and and let some guests come in and talk to you, but we haven't confirmed those guests yet. So, yeah, they're know, really busy. I think they might really be at like busy. a silent meditation. Yeah, right I think now. so. I think they're. Um... <laughs> yeah, I think they're somewhere in the desert. Uh, like yeah. in Joshua Tree. Like, definitely. Definitely. In Hiawaska. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, once they get back into town, they'll let us know. And, and we'll dive into the world of natural wine. Yeah. Uh, until next time, until happy time. holidays. Yeah. See you in 2022. Oh, goodness. <laughs> What's in store? <laughs> Hopefully something good. <laughs> Bye. Bye.